Good morning, everybody. <clears throat> I'm a little under the weather today, so you have to excuse me. But uh, uh, so glad to see you guys here. Proud of you for uh, for coming today. And man, looked outside the window this morning. I was like, man, this we might we might not all be here today. Uh, but uh, praise God, man. We have such a great God to come and worship together today. Amen. If you're new here again, thanks for being here. My name is Dan Halleck, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here, and so thankful that you are here today. And normally I hang out after the service and would love to to hang with you and, and talk to you a little bit, but today I'm just kind of sick, so I probably won't be hanging out too long after the service because I love you and uh, don't want to get you sick. But uh, um, today uh, we're going to continue in the Gospel of John. And if you haven't been here, let me tell you a little bit about this author, John. He was, um, he was good friends with Jesus. And he was one of the 12 disciples who lived with Jesus for three years um, during his public ministry, during Jesus' public ministry. And he traveled with Jesus, and he sat under Jesus' teaching and preaching. And he, he watched Jesus perform countless signs and wonders. We read at the end of this book that says if he were to recall everything Jesus had done, there would not be enough books in the world to record them all. And so what we do here is, obviously in this Gospel of John, he has intentionally recorded what the Holy Spirit led him to record. And he wrote this near the end of his life, which was probably near the end of the first century, because he was uh, one of the youngest disciples. And so he lived a long life, uh, considerable, uh, relatively speaking, for that time. And he wrote this near the end of the first century, led by the Holy Spirit. So if you got your Bible today, join with me uh, Uh, In opening your word to John chapter 9, verses 1 through 12, we will put it on the screen, but no promises that you'll be able to see it over my body uh, because I'm blocking some of it. So if you're new here, I just want you to know this uh, building is not finished. This is not the finished product. Uh, We're taking one project at a time and and, uh, getting this sucker up or doing something different with that is going to be one of those coming up this new year, hopefully. So as you're turning, let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to be together today. Uh, God, as we uh, <clears throat> as we open your word, we celebrate you and we celebrate the fact that we have your word in our language, God, that you've given us minds and hearts uh, to 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 read this word and you've given most of us an opportunity to have an education where we can learn how to read and and uh, thank you for that, Jesus, because we know that many of our brothers and sisters around the world don't have that privilege. Um, and so during our time today, we pray that you would teach us, Holy Spirit, uh, what you have for us. And please just dis- uh, uh, bind Satan and any of his distractions, any of the ways that he would want to distract us now so that we can hear you clearly, Lord. Please humble us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so John chapter 9. I'm going to read verses 1 through 12 today. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, 
It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he's like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. Amen. That's where we'll end for today. Last week, we focused on the first three verses of this passage. And Jesus tells his disciples uh, that God made this blind man born blind, not as a punishment to him or to his parents, but so that the power of God, the works of God might be displayed in this man's life. So as we look at verses 4 to 12 today, uh, I want to answer three main questions. Uh, First, why is it significant that Jesus heals this blind man? Second, what does it mean to work the works of God while it is day? And third, why does Jesus heal this blind man this way? So first, why is it significant that Jesus heals this blind man? Well, in ancient Israel, as in today, people suffered uh, from many different types of illnesses and disabilities. And ancient medicine obviously was not as advanced or sophisticated as it is today, but uh, there were ancient physicians, there were medical treatments for certain ailments, there were obviously home remedies like we have today also, but one disability that nobody could heal was blindness. And to this day, we haven't cured blindness, right? We've made advances toward helping people see, but it's not like there is a pill you can take to not be blind, Now, what's also uh, significant here is that Jesus, remember, is kind of this no-name guy from this no-name town, Nazareth. He's a carpenter's son. And so it's very significant that he walks into the headquarters, Jerusalem, and he instantly heals this man born blind who had been blind from birth. See, that that stuff just did not happen. (laughs) It didn't happen. It still doesn't happen. So this incredible miracle points to the fact, it's a, it's a sign, meaning it points us to a greater truth that there's something special about this guy who did this miracle. Okay. Now, what's also interesting uh, is that hundreds of years before Jesus healed this man, there was a prophet named Isaiah who prophesied that one of the distinguishing characteristics of the coming Messiah's ministry would be his ability to give sight to the blind. 
In Isaiah 29, 18, Isaiah writes, In that day the deaf shall hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. In Isaiah 35, 5, he writes, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. See, he wrote this about 700 years before Jesus ever walked the earth, and he's prophesying about what's going to happen when the Messiah comes. And remember that at the start of Jesus' public ministry, he went to his hometown of Nazareth, and he went to synagogue like he always had. And when it was his turn to read scripture, he grabbed the scrolls, and it says that he read from Isaiah out loud, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then after reading this passage, he he looked around at his, his, his family, his friends, his relatives who would have known him, and he said, you guys, today this passage is fulfilled in me. This passage is talking about me. Now fast forward then to this blind man in Jerusalem, and we now see that Jesus is proving it. He's proving he's a Messiah, because Jesus doesn't just talk the talk. He walks the walk always. And so the prophets of old said that the Messiah would bring sight to the blind. Jesus said he would bring sight to the blind because he was the Messiah, and now Jesus brings sight to the blind. Jesus gives sight to a man who had never seen light before, who'd never seen colors before. We'd never seen his family before. So it's significant first that Jesus heals this blind man because no other physicians or healers could do it, right? Nobody could could heal him. And second, the miracle is significant because it shows us that Jesus is the Messiah. It's a sign that points us to the fact that Jesus is the Savior who came to earth from heaven to save us from our sin. And then third, the miracle is significant because it results in God being glorified while at the same time people are made joyful in Jesus. Okay. Jesus is God. He is the good king of the universe. He's the one to whom you and I are accountable to. And as the good king, he graciously broke into time and space 2,000 years ago and with him because he, he brought his kingdom in a new and powerful way. Where the king is, that's where the kingdom is. Okay, And so when the king came, he, he brought his kingdom with him in a new and powerful way. He broke, Jesus breaks into people's lives. Jesus saves people. Jesus heals. He restores. He reconciles us to God. Amen. So these are some of the reasons why this particular healing is is really significant. Now, the second question, I think my voice is getting deeper as I go. Um, It's kind of fun. The second question we want to answer about this passage is, um, what does it mean to work the work of God's, the work, work the work of God while it is day? Okay. When Jesus sees the blind man on the street, he tells his disciples in verses 4 to 5, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, 
I am the light of the world. So Jesus says that he must work the works of, quote, him who sent me. So the, or him, the, the, yeah, him who sent me. So the one who sent Jesus, who is that? It's God the Father. And God the Father gave his son Jesus a specific mission to complete during his earthly life, to preach and teach the truth and love, uh, to heal, to live a life without sin, to perfectly obey and fulfill God's law, to die as a sacrifice for the sin of the world, and to rise from the dead in power. That was Jesus' mission. Those were the works of God that Jesus said he must do while it is day because night was coming when these works could no longer be done. So in other words, Jesus needed to work God's works while he was still with the disciples on earth. Jesus was going to die and he was going to rise again and then he was going to leave them. And after that, they're not going to have him around like he was in the flesh. It doesn't mean that after his departure, Jesus would cease to be the light of the world, but it means that he would shine his light differently after his departure. Instead of shining his light exclusively through his own life, Jesus would now shine his light through the lives of his followers, through the lives of you and me, those of us who trust in Jesus that's why Jesus tells his followers in Matthew 5, 14 to 16, <clears throat> you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus gives us some instructions here. First, he tells us that since he's no longer in here in the flesh, that we are now his representatives to this world. We are now his representatives to one another in the church. So when Jesus made us born again, we read in scripture that his Holy Spirit entered into our hearts to dwell in us, to live in us, to seal our hearts as his, as belonging to him. And so that means that now that the spirit lives, lives in us, he's the one leading us to do the works of God. That's why it's an interesting, just kind of grammatically, how Jesus puts this in uh, verse four. He says, we must work the works of God. He didn't say I must work the works of God. He's including the disciples in this. And the works of God that God commands us to do can be summarized as to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. And the second is like it, to love our neighbor as ourself. And then Jesus tells us to do these works with a sense of urgency. Okay, night's coming. Our time on earth is short. It's going to be night soon when we're not here. When we die, we'll no longer be able to do the, earth, the, the works that Jesus gave us to do on earth. That means we can't take our days on earth for granted. We've got good work to do that God's given us to do. I think sometimes we forget that. I know I do. The time is short. 
we can't take it for granted. When we die, we're not going to be able to visit sick people in the hospital because we won't be with them anymore. There aren't sick people in heaven who need to be visited in the hospital. When we die, we'll no longer be able to tell our relatives and friends and co-workers about Jesus and about his salvation because we will not have access to them anymore. Heaven is only filled with people who know Jesus and who've trusted him for salvation. When we die, we're not going to be able to give money to the church or to save, uh, to serve meals to hungry people because in heaven there won't be financial needs. There won't be hungry people. When we die, we'll no longer be able to visit prisoners in jail or to help people who are in bondage to sin because heaven is a place of freedom. Heaven is where the Lord is, where the spirit of the Lord is. There is freedom. And when we die, we will no longer be able to participate in missions work and local work, national work, international work. We won't have the opportunity to go on mission trips or to take God's word to unreached people groups around the world because there will be no unreached people in heaven. John Piper says this well in the first few paragraphs of his book, Let the Nations Be Glad. <clears throat> Pretty profound. He writes, Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exists because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. And when this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity but worship abides forever. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and goal of missions. It's the goal of missions because in missions, we simply aim to bring the nations into the white, hot enjoyment of God's glory. So the goal of missions is the gladness of the peoples in the greatness of God. Psalm 97.1 says, The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Psalm 67.3 and 4 says, Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Our lives are short. Our time on earth is short. And God has kingdom work for you and me to do. This means that as individuals, what does it mean? Well, first it means it's urgent that you and I make God a priority in our lives. There are a thousand different ways that you and I can spend our time. There are a thousand different activities and organizations that we can be involved in. But whatever we do, we've got to ask this. Am I abiding in Jesus every day? Am I talking to Jesus Am I talking to the Lord? Am I feeding myself with his word, the Bible? Of all the relationships I can invest in, am I seeking Christian friendships that are making me more holy and that are encouraging me in my relationship with God? Or am I hanging out with people who are just dragging me down? As a man, am I leading my family to love the Lord and to serve the Lord and to do life with the Lord's people. 
Also, as individual Christians, it's urgent that we do the works of God by loving others with the love of Christ. So we encourage one another in the Lord. We, we pray for each other. We humble ourselves before each other. We bear one another's burdens. We sacrifice our resources, our temporary resources, in order to make sure that others are taken care of. We pray for the lost. We befriend non-Christians and we love them with the love of Jesus. And this mission is urgent because we know for sure we're not going to be here long. <laughs> and God can and will take us home as soon as he wants to. Now as a church, what does it mean to work the works of God because we believe that night is coming? Well, it means that we understand that God has, that this here isn't a mistake, that God has put us in this town at this time in history in order to do his works together with the unique gifts that he has wired us to do. In our time together here at Cedar Home as a local church is, is short. And so we've got to make the best use of our time by following the Lord's instructions for us individually and as a church family. <clears throat> you see this in the New Testament, and, and um, it's how I feel about the local church. We just don't have time to bicker and complain about each other. We don't have time to harbor bitterness toward each other because time is short, and there's a broken world out there that needs to know Jesus. We don't have time. We don't have time to fight battles against each other. We, we use the Jesus and the power of the Spirit to forgive as we've been forgiven. We don't have time to fight each other. And if that's not, if fighting is what you're here to do, then you need to repent or leave this church. And what you need to do is go find a church that doesn't care about reaching the lost because they'll have plenty of time to fight, right? I don't know about you, but I've got limited time and energy. I'm a dad with three little kids. And wherever you're at, you, you, probably, you probably have limited energy too. I don't want to spend the majority of my time and energy fighting other Christians. I want to spend my time and energy encouraging other Christians and fighting against the darkness. Because <laughs> I want to see as many people as possible experience the life and freedom and joy of Jesus Christ. Christians, we are the light. This is it. We are the light of the world. And we want to pray for each other and encourage one another and work together to spread the light as quickly as possible to as many people as possible. Our time is short. Night is coming. We want to work the works of God while we have air in our lungs. The third question we want to answer about today's passage is, why does Jesus heal the blind man this way? There are a lot of guesses out there as to why Jesus healed this blind man this way. <clears throat> why he spit, made mud, wiped it on the guy's eyes, sent him to the pool of Siloam. Reality, this is one of those things Jesus does that most people, we just don't know why he did it. God knows. Uh, some Christians have suggested that Jesus is demonstrating here that he makes all things new. 
when he first created humanity, he created us out of the dirt. And since humanity had been ruined by sin, then Jesus is showing us that he can recreate us now to give us the life he intended for us. Um, other Christians have suggested that Jesus puts mud on top of the blind man's eyes to make him doubly blind, to, to emphasize his blindness. Um, and, and now he really can't see. So the very fact that Jesus gives the man sight with this double blindness shows God's power to give sight to the blind, both physically and spiritually. <clears throat> but what's more interesting to me than how he does how he heals this man in this passage is the fact that during his earthly ministry, Jesus heals a lot of people in a lot of different ways. Sometimes Jesus heals people simply by telling them be healed. Sometimes he heals people by simply thinking about them and they're not even in the same town. And you have a report coming the next day that when you said this at one o'clock, that kid was healed at one o'clock. Um, sometimes he heals people by touching them. Sometimes he heals people by letting them touch his cloak. Sometimes he heals people by using dirt and spit, like in today's passage. I like what one pastor said, that Jesus used a variety of different methods to heal people so that we, his followers, would understand that healings happen because of Jesus, not because of the methods that he used. So, for instance, if, if he healed every sick person by putting mud on them, then we might think it's necessary to wipe mud on every person who's sick, right? But Jesus doesn't give us this magic formula to follow in order to be healed. For true healing of any sort, what we need is the grace of God. We need Jesus himself, whatever means he chooses to use to heal us. Now, after Jesus wipes mud on the blind man's eyes, he, he tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And at first it might look like, because we don't live in Jerusalem, obviously, it might, it might look like, well, Jesus is just telling him to go wash in the nearest pool, the nearest water. Well, that's actually, that's not the whole story. There's something more significant going on here to the pool of Siloam. In verse 7, the Apostle John explains that the word Siloam means sent. And the word Siloam is the same word as Shiloh. And they both mean sent. And in the Old Testament, there are a few passages in which the word Shiloh or Siloam refer to the Messiah, the coming Messiah. Uh, Genesis 49.10 says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. And then in Isaiah 8, 6, we read that the Lord punishes the Jewish people because they have rejected the waters of Shiloh. And so ancient Jewish and Christian interpreters both saw this as prophecies referring to the Messiah. Uh, the, the scepter of Judah would depart Judah when Siloam, or the Messiah, was sent to earth. And the Lord punishes the Jewish people because they've rejected Siloam, the Messiah, who was sent from God. So Siloam, or Shiloh, actually perfectly describes Jesus as the Messiah. 
Jesus was sent. That's what it means, sent. Sent from God. He was born in the line of David, in the line of Judah, like Genesis 49 says. He fulfilled Genesis 49.10 as, as, he, as he was the king of the Jews and as he is the king of the universe. And he fulfills Isaiah 8.6 because Jesus' own people rejected him, just like Isaiah predicted they would. And so when Jesus wipes mud on the blind, blind man's eyes and then sends him to wash at the pool of Siloam, he's symbolically sending the man to his own waters. He's sending the man to himself. He's sending the blind man to the waters of the king of Judah who has fulfilled the line of David. He's sending the blind man to the waters of the Messiah that the Jewish people have rejected. He's sending the man to the living waters, the healing waters for his soul. Now, Jesus didn't have to do it this way. He didn't have to use the pool of Siloam, but he sent him here in order to reinforce the fact that he, Jesus, is the living water that we truly need for an abundant life. Okay. Remember, it was this gospel just a few chapters ago where Jesus says, he is the living water. Come to me, you who are thirsty. Jesus doesn't physically heal everybody in this life. We know that, and he never promised to. Uh, instead, Jesus is, what he does promise is to give us what we need. He promises to be living water for us. He promises that in him we have... Um, Everything we need for everlasting life and everlasting joy and everlasting freedom. And that's why we want to abide in Jesus. We want to abide in these waters. We want Jesus to pour these waters of Siloam on us every day. Have new grace, new mercy every day. And the reason we believe that Jesus is everything we need is, is a lot of reasons, but a few are because, uh, because of who he says he is in Scripture as God, uh, because of all the promises that he has fulfilled in Scripture, like the two that we've seen here, because of all the miracles he has done since the beginning of time and that he's still doing to this day, and mostly because of what he accomplished in his life and death and resurrection. See, there will be no more suffering in heaven and Jesus wants you to know that for sure because on the cross, Jesus took our sin on himself and he already suffered our suffering for us completely. There will be no apathy toward God in heaven. I guarantee you that. There will be no indifference toward God because on the cross, Jesus became this deadness for us, the spiritual apathy to the things of God so that we might fully see God as he is and treasure him in all of his glory. And the reason that we can do this, the reason that we can abide in Christ, uh, the reason we can draw strength from him, from these everlasting pools of grace and peace and hope is because of what he's done for us. He's united us to himself as we've trusted in him and what he's accomplished in his life and death and resurrection. And just as Jesus told this broken blind man to go to the waters of the Messiah, the waters of Siloam, to be healed, Jesus says the same thing to us. He's saying the same thing to you today. If you want to be healed, 
you want to be filled, if you want to know the God that you were created to know and be friends with, then come to me. Look to me. And this isn't a pool that we want to just drink from once and then abandon. You'd be a fool to do that. We draw from Jesus every day as we, we look to him. We look to his word. We look to his Holy Spirit to give us what we need each day. So for you, are you looking to Jesus? What are you looking to? What am I looking to every day? What are you drinking from? What's going in here? What's going in here? Are you drinking from truth? Are you drinking from God's word one sip at a time? Are you asking Jesus, work powerfully in my life, Lord? Are you trying to follow God's commands because you love Jesus? And as you do that, are you doing, are you doing it differently than people, than your neighbor who tries to follow God's commands to be a good person? Are you resting in the fact that Jesus has already fulfilled God's commands for you? And knowing that, does that get you psyched to go obey God because you know Jesus has your back? <laughs> it does for me. It totally changes the motives of your heart. Are you looking to Jesus? Are you pointing others to Jesus? When the blind man is healed at the pool of Siloam and comes back to his begging place, <clears throat> it's obvious he is a different man. Physically, he's a different man. They obviously cannot recognize him. Uh, his eyes are open. His neighbors are like, is this, is this the guy? Is this, is this our friend? This guy's seeing the world for the very first time. And his excitement, I'm sure, is overflowing. And in the coming weeks, we're going to see that Jesus actually did more than just a physical healing, that he actually spiritually healed this man. But what I want you to see here today is that Jesus has physically healed this man, and this guy can't keep quiet about it. In verses 8 to 12, the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, it is he. And others said, no. But he's like him. And he kept saying, I am the man. And so they said to him, then how were your eyes open? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. And so I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. So Jesus has miraculously healed this man, changed this man, and the man can't help but tell his testimony to his neighbors. Jesus is the reason I'm different. It's Jesus. Jesus came to me when I wasn't looking for him. I was outside the temple where I couldn't access him. And he healed me before I even asked him to. Nobody could deny that this guy was changed, but what they couldn't figure out is why. Why was he changed? Has Jesus changed you? Did he break into your life when you weren't even expecting it? Did he heal you by his stripes on the cross? Has Jesus rescued from you from the darkness and pulled you into the light of his glory, the light of his kingdom. 
If so, then spread the light. Spread the light of Jesus like this blind man did. Tell the world what he's done for you. Tell the world why the living water that Jesus offers you is infinitely better than all of the water in this world and the water that you tried before you tried Jesus. And as you do that, as you testify, are you pursuing the different kind of life that Jesus offers you? I mean, none of us are perfect, obviously, but do you think non-believers look at you and think there is something different about that person? There is something different. They don't do the same things that everybody on my street does. They don't act the same way as everybody in my office acts. They don't interact in class the same way all the other students do. Or does your life look so much like the world that your peers would be surprised to find out you were a Christian? Romans 12, 1-2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So let's take that a few words at a time. As a person whom Jesus has changed and saved and healed, are you and I offering our bodies to God as living sacrifices, not sacrifices that need to die physically, but as living sacrifices that offer our very lives to God? Do we tell God, God, this body, this life, this mind, this heart, these words, this money is yours. <laughs> these things are not mine. Are you there yet in your head? That's a hard place to get to. Jesus can do it. Number your days are right. Reading scripture, nothing you have do you own. <laughs> that job, that could go tomorrow. That's just reality. You got that job because God's given you that job. You've got that money in your account because God gave you that money. That money doesn't belong to you, though. It belongs to God. And you don't take it with you after this life. God's given you these things to set you on mission for him so that you can use all of the resources you have to make a big deal out of him before the night comes. Okay? Is this your mindset towards God? We live in a world uh, to reach the world and to love the world with Jesus's love. If there wasn't a world to be reached, we would not be here. We'd be in heaven right now with Jesus. So we, we want to love the world, but at the same time, are we seeking to be holy like Jesus? Because right. you can get... You get your priorities a little messed up there. A lot of people emphasize that second commandment. Well, I'm just supposed to love my neighbor as myself. Before they visit the first commandment, you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind so that you can then learn what it looks like to love your neighbor. Okay? 
So are we pursuing holiness like Jesus? Romans 12, 2 says, don't be conformed to the world. In other words, don't let this world shape you into its cookie cutter mold so that you live and talk like people who don't love Jesus. Don't let the world shape you into a person who values all of the things that most of your neighbors do. Instead, it says, give your mind to God. Offer it as a living sacrifice to God. Think about God. Read God's word. Talk about God. Pray to God. Surround yourself with people who want to talk about Jesus. Isn't that fun, man? When you can be real with a few people who love the, the, who love the, the thing that's most important to you in your life. You guys have this connection because you talk about Jesus. Man, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's incredible. Do you have any relationships like that in your life? I found in my life, those are the ones that have stood the test of time for me. When I have a connection with people on Jesus. And by giving God your mind, this is what he does. He transforms you. He transforms you into his image so that you can better shine his light in your school and in your neighborhood and on your street and at your workplace. But give God your mind. Night is coming for you and for me and for our neighbors. And just as Jesus' time on earth was short, our time is short. So today, what will you give your mind to? How do you watch the Seahawks game for the glory of God? Like seriously, you think these are the questions we ask. How can I eat today in a way that is going to show that this food isn't actually what I'm worshiping, but I can enjoy it because God gave it to me. But how can I use this food in a way that honors God? So it says whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. In the conversations I have with people, in the way that I talk to my spouse, in the way that I treat my parents, the way that I treat my kids. How am I doing the works of God that he sent me to do by loving God and loving them? This week might be your last week on earth. That's part of my job as lead pastor to remind you of that. Um, And to remind me of that. How will you live in a way this week that says, God, I believe the night is coming when I will no longer live on earth. So Jesus, take my life this week and live through me, please. And know this, because I want to be crystal clear on this. We work the works of God, not in order to earn God's love and approval, but because we already have God's love and approval in Jesus Christ. We already have Jesus' love when we trust in him. So we now give away Jesus' love simply to love. Just like Jesus loved us first. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word here. Thank you for teaching us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being with us and for guiding us in this time. I pray that uh, you would uh, use this word to to shape our minds today and this week, God, that you would help us to number our days aright, to consider, man, night is coming. Like, I don't know 
how long I have, but I want to make the most of Jesus and enjoy Jesus as much as I can while I'm on earth and while I can still minister to the people around me. I love you, God, so much. Please have your hand in our church. Please encourage us this week. Please use us as agents of encouragement to one another, of building up and edifying this body by your spirit through our prayers according to your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.